0: time does the 7 o'clock meeting start? 7 o'clock. <laughs> so welcome. Welcome to position of neutrality. Welcome to New Freedom. Do we have any first-time visitors in New Freedom House tonight? Alright. Very good. We recognize you guys in blues. Welcome home, man. Seriously. We're glad you're here. Um, For everybody else, if you've never been here before or you need a refresher, what we do here, we've been doing for lots of years. We take a look at the suggested instruction for a step or so a week directly out of this book. And we use this book in 12-step recovery. Why? The process described by the authors of this book has been proven to work by these authors. They happen to be addicts to alcohol. But it's been proven to work for addicts of the hopeless variety of many stripes. And so, or chemical test pilots like my friend Lance, so so what we do here is not tell you what the book says, but show you how I find what it says to me, and encourage you to have your experience with it, because it's a book of experience. It's important that you you internalize what their witness is, right? So tonight we're in step 12, so we're going to have highs and lows, right, because... It's the all-inclusive nature of the steps. It's a manner of living. It's not a workbook exercise. We're going to have first-step experiences, second-step experiences, third-step all the way through because that's the nature of 12, right? Okay, so we're going to be in Chapter 7. For those of you following along in your book, Chapter 7 is entitled Working with Others. And they start out with a promise or two. i See if you can identify them because I like people to understand that there's more promises in this book than the ones we see posted on the wall and called the promises, right? right. And, and, and because the promises are tied to conditions, we want people to understand what they promise and what the condition of that experience was, yeah? So they say practical experience shows that nothing will so much ensure immunity from drinking as intensive work with other alcoholics. It works when other activities fail, So, anyone identify a promise or two there? Other activities will fail, fail, because it said when, not if. Mm -hmm. It also said intensive work with other alcoholics ensures immunity. That's based on their experience. So, what does intensive work with other alcoholics mean? Probably sitting down with them and, and helping them tell their story, right? So that they, too, can get the freedom we've enjoyed from learning to tell the story of redemption, right, an overcomer rather than a victim, yeah? Okay, so then it goes on to say this is our twelfth suggestion and then there's a colon. So the twelfth suggestion is not the selfish reason why I would do it because I'm insured of immunity if I do enough of it. The twelfth suggestion would be selfless because self was identified as the problem. So it follows, Okay. And it says, carry this message to other alcoholics, exclamation mark. What's the message we carry? Rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. And, And specifically, nothing so much ensures immunity as intensive work with other alcoholics. It works when other activities fail. If you have struggled and you have not subjected yourself to someone showing you how to tell your story and then shown someone else the same thing, that's why. Full stop. Does that make sense? No amount of meetings, no amount of group of drunks, no amount of doorknobs, light bulbs, or bullshit are gonna (laughs) ensure immunity, but a powerful conscious relation with a power greater than me called purpose will. And then as you move in purpose, you'll probably get a new name for that power. But that's between you and the power, not not me. Okay, so it says you can help when no one else can. You can secure their confidence when others fail. Remember, they're very ill. Why are they reminding me of that? Because we can be mean. How many of you had people be a little rough on you when you got here? How many of you would like to be treated a little different? Here's your opportunity. Don't treat them like you were treated. Treat them like you'd like to have been treated. Right? Okay. So some promises here. Life will take on new meaning. To watch people recover. To see them help others. To watch loneliness vanish. To see a fellowship grow up about you. To have a host of friends. This is an experience you must not miss. I always like people to know that the, the authors of this book sat down with a thesaurus and and they literally argued over every word. So they say the words they mean, and they mean the words they say. So when they use a weird word to describe something that we might not choose, like this is an experience you must not miss, they clearly meant for us to have a more, more full experience than simply eyesight. Right. How many of you have learned there's a full experience to be had in the spirit that does not involve eyesight? Because eyesight without insight spiritual blindness. And as we're growing in consciousness, we start to get the signature of the spirit confirmation and the spirit things going on. Any of you, where's my people that have had a spiritual awakening as a result of the steps, is working with others? Okay, a good percentage of you. Where's my people that are at least considering having someone help you with the steps? More of you? Okay. So you're in step 12 too, if no one's ever told you, because you'll help whoever you're asking more than they'll help you. That's the all-inclusive nature of the step, okay? So it's an experience because we're growing in consciousness of this power that is greater than myself, right? A tangible power, not a concept, okay? We know you'll not want to miss it. Frequent contact with newcomers and with each other is the bright spot of our lives. Perhaps you're not acquainted with any drinkers who want to recover. Why do they say that? How many of you have have discovered sometimes you find people who do not want to recover in places you wouldn't expect to find them? Like in the rooms? (laughs) You can easily find some by asking a few doctors, ministers, priests, or hospitals. They'll be only too glad to assist you. Don't start out as an evangelist or a reformer. How did they learn that? Yeah, it's a book of experience. How many of you, when you first found out that there was a difference between going to meetings and actually the revelatory experience of the steps, then you started going to meetings and you thought, man, they're not doing recovery right here. Let me tune these motherfuckers up. Show them who God is, right? That's probably not the spiritual approach. Right? But we all know that experience. It's not as effective. Right? Okay. So, don't start out as an evangelist or reformer. Unfortunately, a lot of prejudice exists. You'll be handicapped if you arouse it. Ministers and doctors are competent, and you can learn much from them if you wish, but it happens that because of your own drinking experience, you can be uniquely useful to other alcoholics. That's an interesting choice of words, too. Notice how they didn't say your drinking experience makes you uniquely useful. That makes you a drunk. <laughs> Properly armed with the facts about yourself. This human condition of selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, fear, guilt, shame, and remorse that drove all my actions and was made my life so untenable that I had to medicate myself nearly to death. But I was restored from that to a place that my life exists in service to you. And I live it, and I can prove it, and you can put a camera on me and follow me, that's right. Yeah. right? So that's impactful that I got drunk and hit the cop, and then I got thrown down the stairs in the Coconino County Jail. That's just what happens to drunk folk that hit cops. <laughs> so cooperate, never criticize, to be helpful is our only aim. When you discover a prospect for Alcoholics Anonymous, find out all you can about him. If he does not want to stop drinking, don't waste time trying to persuade him. Who's the persuader? (laughs) cocaine, Fentanyl. Do not go up against a power greater than yourself. We're not here to persuade. They're in the persuasive process. where we tenderize so they can get you know a little bit reasonable how many of you lived out there long and hard sick should be hospitalized every morning going to do it again because what else we going to do and pleaded with whatever there was don't make me do it again knowing I'm on my way there to do it again anyone know what I'm talking about Every bit of that was necessary to make me empathetic to the man I can talk to today that knows that experience. So I didn't get one day more than I needed, and I was not entitled to one day less than I needed. Okay, so if there's any indication he wants to stop, have a good talk with the person most interested in him, usually his wife. Get an idea of his behavior, his problems, his background, the seriousness of his condition, and his religious leanings. You need this information to put yourself in his place to see how you would like him to approach you if the tables were turned. Why did they teach me meditative practice? So I can ask the questions and start talking to the spirit about the answers I've received and what is the proper approach. Because I'm not qualified, having just met this man or woman, to know what they need, but the spirit in me that has sent me to them does. See how there was a lot of instruction in there that we have to unpack? Because we have to know the experience to share the experience, right? You can't transmit what you don't have. You know what they don't tell us in here? You can't help but transmit what you do have. So if you're running around sour and angry, guess who's going to know before you get there? Everybody. Okay. So I'm going to go... From there over to page 91, just to not delay, and let's talk about how we normally meet people because we normally start meeting people in fellowships. I know people that really get into it start going to hospitals and jails and asylums, but initially we all stumble into a room somewhere, right? Okay. So it tells us on 91, see your man alone if possible. So how many of you that are starting to work with others have gone to that room and tried to see... You're a new person alone. What's the experience of that? Get in the car. Sean kidnaps him. Well, my, my thought is, how many of you have gone into a room of recovery and had a whole bunch of people just telling you what to do? Mm-hmm. So what they learned in their experience is that should not occur. I have no idea what they should do and I would cheat them to talk to them about the power we call God without giving a demonstration and one of the things you got to learn about the power we call God is that the answers for you are in you I'm happy to help pray and meditate and help you sort that out but I got no answers for you how could I I just met you but the, the creator who dwells in you has answers for you and, and I'm going to help you process that does that make sense yeah. okay so at first engage in general conversation. What's that look like? I haven't seen you here before. You work around here? Catch the game last night. What do they usually hear? Got a sponsor? Read the first 164 pages. Call me. <laughs> Any of you ever been assaulted like that? Yeah. Poor bastard came in to use the toilet, right? <laughs> Dude, I didn't know I had to stay. (laughs) After a while, turn the talk to some phase of drinking. Tell him enough about your drinking habits, symptoms, and experiences to encourage him to speak of himself. So now we're fishing. How many of you can remember those first day or days where you're pretty sure no one knew how lousy you felt? And... You're just waiting for somebody to say something that would give you some idea that somebody knew something. Did you and finally engage somebody who seemed to know something? And they didn't tell you anything about you, they told you something about themselves? Did you remember how effective that was? So that's what they're trying to help us. I'm not an expert on you, but I'm, through the step process, I am an expert on me. Right? At least in the present day, I'm the most informed person today about me, <laughs> other than God, who I consult. Okay? So tell him enough about your drinking habits, symptoms, and experiences to encourage him to speak of himself. If he wishes to talk, let him do so. You will thus get a better idea of how you ought to proceed. What are they going to do other than what they want to do in your experience? They're not going to do anything other than what they want to do. What they really want to hear from me is what did I do? If they think that I might know something that they want to know. Yeah? Okay. If he's not communicative, give him a sketch of your drinking career up to the time you quit, but say nothing for the moment of how that was accomplished. Why not? I don't know. You guys agree with Lance? Any of you know how your sobriety was accomplished? Do you get what what we're saying? I mean, we're supposed to, instead of witnessing to what I do today to stay sober, which if I didn't lie in one is nothing. I did absolutely nothing today to stay sober, which is why I admitted powerlessness. Right? But that's not what they hear, right? Okay. So we don't want to hit them with this whole powerless experience just yet because we're we're just now fishing don't don't set the hook too soon okay all right so say nothing for the moment of how that was accomplished if he's in a serious mood dwell on the troubles liquor has caused you being careful not to moralize or lecture anyone here have trouble with liquor or uh, chemicals of another variety one or two good I made it to the right room um So are we qualified to talk about some of the troubles we've experienced as a result of our exuberance with chemical discovery? Can you do it without moralizing or lecturing? Because most of us, until we're armed with the facts about ourselves, are not good at that. We talk about, well, I was a real piece of shit. I've heard it a thousand times. You know what that sounds like to the guy who's talking to you? You mean like me? Like now you're transformed and I'm the guy? I'm the one? That's how it, that's how it feels, so we don't want to do that because that's not what we're there to do. We're there to talk about, look, I've been where you are and I'm now where I am and the good news is the one who did this for me sent me to you. Okay, if his mood is light, tell him humorous stories of your escapades, to get him to tell some of his. How many of you have gotten that going? Just, because all of us had some fun experiences, right? Maybe if it wasn't fun in the moment, it's funny as hell later, right? (laughs) Okay. All right, so when he sees you know all about the drinking game, commence to describe yourself as an alcoholic. Tell him how baffled you were and how you finally learned that you were sick. Do you know how you finally learned that you were sick? The steps help us with that. When did you finally learn that you were sick? How long did you hold on to the idea you were doing what you wanted to do? How many of you spent years in recovery in the fellowships, collected chips, and still firmly believe that you just decided one day you were sick and tired of being sick and tired? And then one day, even though you were still sick and tired of being sick and tired, you found yourself spun like a monkey. Oops. So give him an account of the struggles you made to stop. Show him the mental twist which leads to the first drink of a spree. We suggest you do this, as we've done in the chapter on alcoholism. So do you recognize that? More about alcoholism. We have Jim the car guy, which we often tell the story. Jim didn't have a drinking issue until later in life, but he owned a dealership that he lost due to his drinking, and he encountered the AAs. And so then he had to go to work for the dealership he once owned, and they recount that he was on his way to work, and he was a little agitated. (laughs) Any of you ever had to take a diminished job as a result of your addiction or other wacky behaviors, and on your way to work, kind of lost your gratitude for the job? (laughs) So that's what happened to Jim, and when he got to work, he had a few words with the boss, but nothing serious. And although Jim was at the dealership where people come to buy cars, he then decided to go out in the woods looking for people to buy cars. (laughs) That's a perfectly rational thought. So on his way out to these woods where car buyers hang out that don't come to dealerships, he went by a roadside place where they have a bar. But that's not a problem, because he does not pick up no matter what. And he's been there many times. And so he's sitting there, and he had a milk and a sandwich. And then the thought came to him, you know, if I put whiskey in another glass of milk and another sandwich, couldn't hurt me on a full stomach. And the experiment went so well, Jim had another. And another, and then another trip to the asylum for Jim. Anyone relate to Jim? If you never put whiskey and milk, some of us have gone down to the trap house to show the fellows how good we're doing. Look at my new sober me. And then came back in a year or two, right? Okay. Okay. So you get that thing with Jim. Fred's, Fred's the guy that... He didn't get as bad. Any of you, like Fred, didn't, didn't take it as far as these AAs? Fred said, thanks for the information, boys, but I'm not as bad as y'all, but you probably saved me a hassle. And a few months later, he went to New York, walked through a bar, thought a few highballs wouldn't hurt, came to you a few days later in a cow. Any of the? How about the, the, the jaywalker? Any of you relate to the jaywalker? This won't hurt me, watch how bad. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so what they say is if he's alcoholic he will understand you at once. I take it by your laughter that you're relating. So the good news is you're relating, the bad news is you just caught alcoholism. <laughs> he will match your mental con- inconsistencies with some of his own. Be honest with yourself, did you already come up with some? Were you thinking of your own mental inconsistencies while we were going through this story? Okay. So, if you're satisfied that he's a real alcoholic, begin to dwell on the hopeless feature of the malady. How would I know if he's a real alcoholic? Interestingly enough, they defined it for us precisely. Page 21, 22. You can go back. 20. You want to look at it real quick? Let's go back. I'm sorry. If you guys are talking, he's an Maybe. It doesn't matter what he thinks or what I think. It matters what he thinks. Yep. But if I'm satisfied that he's a real alcoholic, I know how to take the discussion because I are one. Yep. <laughs> I know the delusion of it. Yes. And I know the confusion of it. Yes. And I know the redemption from it yes. as a person. Mm. Okay. So let's go to... Um, Page 21, second paragraph, it says, what about the real alcoholic? He may start off as a moderate drinker. He may or may not become a continuous hard drinker. How many of you did never become a continuous hard drinker, but when you drank, the the train left the rails? (laughs) So it's about control while drinking, right? Um... Says he does absurd, incredible, tragic things while drinking. Can you think of any? He's a real Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Any of you experience a little per- personality change when you're using? So they'll describe that. They may not know themselves alcoholic. I know lots of people still clearly looks like they're struggling. But this book doesn't tell you you're alcoholic until when tell you no. Crushed by a self-imposed crisis, I could not postpone or evade. I had to fearlessly face the proposition that either God is everything or he's nothing. And otherwise, I'm just a hard drinker dry at the moment or... because what difference does it make? Right? I drink myself to death and tell you the reason I'm doing is I'm an alcoholic. What do you expect? Never realizing the gravity of it. Make sense? Okay. So his disposition while drinking resembles his normal nature, but little? How many of you wonder what your normal nature is? It's always an interesting question. Normal human nature is childlike rather than childish. Isn't that interesting? I used to hear the old timers talk about how we pole vault over mouse turds. You can sit in a burning house at peace and ease, but you pole vault over mouse turds because we don't react sanely and normally. Any of you relate to that? He may be one of the the finest fellows in the world, Yet let him drink for a day and he frequently becomes disgustingly and even dangerously antisocial. So I went through all of that so that in our discussion, we're gonna find out if he has all those characteristics because now I know how to talk to him because I have all those characteristics. So I'm not gonna talk to him about him, I'm gonna talk to him about me. Does that make sense? Okay, So, says, tell him how baffled you were and how you finally learned that you were sick. Give him an account of the struggles you made to stop. Show him the mental twists which leads to the first drink you all right. What did I do? I already went through that, didn't I? Sorry. Um, if you're satisfied that he's a real alcoholic, begin to dwell on the hopeless feature of the malady. Show him from your own experience how the queer mental condition surrounding the first drink prevents normal functioning of the willpower. Do you know that from your experience? How many of you had some clean time? And then just something happened, not a particular event, just somebody was going to the bar from work. Man, it's been a hard week. I I just need to go let off some steam. That ever happened to anybody? You're thinking, man, I've had a hard week. I'd like to let off some steam. Why can't I let off some steam? Has that ever happened to any of you? What did you guys find out? Those guys all went home. Yeah, you went to prison. I, <laughs> I didn't see you on the way there, but I went and lived under a bush. So I wasn't far off. <laughs> but anyone relate to what we're talking about? Yeah. Okay. So don't at this stage refer to this book unless he's seen it and wishes to discuss it and be careful not to brand him as an alcoholic. Let him, brand, let him draw his own conclusion. If he sticks to the idea that he can still control his drinking, tell him possibly he can if he's not too alcoholic. Now, some people think we're telling him to go drink. That's not what we're saying. We're saying it's none of my business. I'm not the, I'm not the persuader. So you're probably just not alcoholic enough. You're not an addict enough. To a person, none of us wants to be told we're not bad enough. <laughs> I am too! Let me tell you this story. True? Yeah, it's all we're thinking of some, right? Okay. So, but insist to be severely afflicted, there may be a little chance he can ac- recover by himself. Continue to speak of alcoholism as an illness, a fatal malady. You, why is it so important that we talk to them about the illness? Something we learned from Bill and Bob and all the early people was that a lot of people would not allow themselves to encounter power because they believed they were undeserving. They didn't seek healing because they didn't know that they were deserving of a healer. How many of you thought you were weak-willed? I just did the same crap over and over again, and uh, screw me. That's how we get here. Talk about the conditions of the body and mind which accompany it. Keep his attention focused mainly on your personal experience. Explain that many are doomed who never realize their predicament. Doctors are rightly loath to tell alcoholic patients the whole story unless it will serve some good purpose. But you may talk to him about the hopelessness of alcoholism because you offer a solution. We're allowed to take him to hopelessness since we are the vessels of hope. That is, a, that is an awesome responsibility, it's not a privilege. Because we're gonna have to deal in some hard truth. Yeah. But I'd rather they didn't like me because of the delivery than die in their addiction because I was afraid and was a people pleaser. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Not telling them what they should do, but what I'm observing, why they're talking to me and what I had to do. And if you're offended by what I had to do, I don't know why the fuck you're offended by what I had to do, I'm not asking you to do anything. Yeah. Does it make sense? I just know what I had to do. Okay, so you'll soon have your friend admitting he has many, if not all, the traits of an alcoholic. How many of you all of a sudden, when you heard someone properly armed with the facts about yourself, thought, man, I've had that happen to me. (laughs) If his own doctor is willing to tell him that he's alcoholic, so much the better. Even though your protege may not have entirely admitted his condition, he's become very curious to know how you got well. Let him ask you that question if he will. That's an interesting instruction. What if he won't? Wait, wait, wait. Keep talking, end the meeting, right? But if he does, it says tell him exactly what happened to you. In italics, why do they do that? Really important. Well, I can't tell him exactly what happened to me unless I'm armed with the facts about me. Right? Because we all kind of agreed. I don't know what happened. I used every day no matter what. And then one day I did and I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. And here I am. Yeah. <laughs> but let's tell the truth. Right? Yeah. I didn't stop unless they locked me up or chained me down. They yeah. took me to the hospital. They took me to the jail. It never stopped for years and years and years. It wasn't because I didn't know. I fucking knew. It wasn't because I did the same thing expecting a different result. I had no expectation of a different result. This is going to suck. Watch. And then one day, pow, it never happened again. Never happened again. And I was all of a sudden going through the steps, and I was learning that I was selfish, and I was dishonest, and I was inconsiderate, and I was full of guilt, shame, and remorse. And I was so pitiful that I could not live in my own skin and my own thoughts so I medicated myself to death and I couldn't even do that right and I encountered this power and I've never been the same and I'm here to tell you he sent me to you the message that can hold these alcoholic types must have depth and weight And it must be grounded in a power greater than ourselves. That story is not about me. That story is about what's been done for me. Okay. All right. So stress the spiritual feature freely. If the man be agnostic or atheist, make it emphatic that he does not have to agree with your conception of God. Why not? It doesn't make any difference. God's not a concept. My experience of God, you're going to get to meet. So it really isn't going to matter what my conception or your conception is. Right. Okay? So he can choose any conception he likes, provided it makes sense to him. Right. That's where we meet him. That's not where we leave him. Right. This isn't a God of my understanding. This is a God of my experience. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. We've taught that wrong for years. They said God as we understood him, not as you understood him. They understood him to be a tangible experience, a miracle sitting in front of me. At long last, I saw, I felt, I believed. Uh Made it very clear. Wasn't a group of drunks. Okay, the main thing is that he'd be willing to believe in a power greater than himself and that he lived by spiritual principles. When dealing with such a person, you'd better use everyday language to describe spiritual principles. So how do we do that? You know what's kind of cool is the spiritual principles that is described in this book rather than subsequent books are pretty simple. You're trying to watch, ask, discuss, turn. Learn to observe without judgment and then witness to the power. Get your thoughts out of the way. How can you see the plank and you or the speck in your brother's eye when you can't see the plank in your own eye. Better remove the plank from your eye so you can better see to help your brother. All of it biblical, all of it spiritual principles, all discussed in inoffensive language. Watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. When these crop up, we ask it once to be removed. Discuss it with another. Resolutely turn our thoughts to someone we can help. It's never me. I'm powerless. But I can clearly see what you need, and when I offer it to you, I gain access to power greater than me and I get enough for me and you. I don't know how, I just know who. I know whose I am and who I am in him. Okay, Okay. so there is no use arousing any prejudice he may have against certain theological terms and conceptions about which he may already be confused. Don't raise such issues no matter what your own convictions. That's why we're just talking to him about the steps. We're talking to him about the experience of a bunch of guys in 1935. Not my experience, not your experience, you can take it or leave it, this is their experience. I have found much of mine in it but just because yours doesn't align with theirs, that doesn't mean they're wrong. Besides, if you want to argue with them, they're all dead. You're on your way, keep working at it. Your prospect may belong to a religious denomination and his religious education and training may be far superior to yours. How many of you have encountered people with religious training... ...who didn't like our 12-step approach? It's very common, right? Here's the thing, guys. The religious folks... ...and the recovery folks... ...are talking about the same power. Which is this whole facility... ...is trying to bring those back together. Biblically, Christ stood between... ...Simon the Zealot and... ...Levi, the tax collector... ...and he brought the opposing forces together... To change the world. So it's not without precedent. And now we want all of you who go to church and all of you who go to recovery to come celebrate this active life of healing that we call recovery from the human condition. Right? Which is what this healing center is designed to do. Okay? So, so, um, says, in that case, he's going to wonder how you can add anything to what he already knows. Have you ever had somebody so schooled in scriptures or in some other teaching that they just couldn't hear you? Yes. Do you trust the power in you? Yes. I one time was sitting with a guy who had been through pretty advanced rabbinical training. I'm not that scholar. Yeah. He was speaking to me from the Torah and from the Kabbalah and from a number of uh, teachings. And all of a sudden, in the middle of that conversation, things were coming out of me, proving to him from his own books what I was saying to him about the steps. And he stopped me in the middle of it. And he says, how do you know that? And I said, well, I don't. But I already told you, you weren't talking to me. True story. True story. That stuff happens to us when we're in the spirit. So... But he'll be curious to learn why his own convictions have not worked and why yours seem to work so well. So we can point out to them, I understand your biblical knowledge or your religious knowledge is extraordinary, but you're dying in addiction and I'm not. You might want to, let's check the workbook. Okay. It's okay to, not to be mean, but to call attention to the obvious, right? There's a reason we're having this encounter. Okay, he may be an example of truth that faith alone is insufficient. How many of you have been an example of that? Plenty of faith, no action. (laughs) Right? Right. So no one knew you had faith. To be vital, faith must be accompanied by self-sacrifice and unselfish constructive action. Let him see that you're not there to instruct him in religion. Admit that he probably knows more about it than you do. But call his attention to the fact that however deep his faith and knowledge, he could not have applied it or he would not drink. Just the obvious, right? Right. Okay, so I'm going to go to page 94. And then there they say, outline the program of action explaining how you made a self-appraisal. Yep. Now, in order to do that with credibility, one would assume that I would have had to make a self-appraisal. Yep. Otherwise, I couldn't explain how I had done so. How many of you have been the guy who didn't really want to admit you hadn't done it, so you just kept telling me you were working on your four-step for, like, eons? <laughs> and you are pretty sure you had them all fooled? And and the reality is, you know, we know, right? Those of us that have, we know. And you, you ain't lying to me. <laughs> um, how you straightened out your past. How do we straighten out our past? Start making amends, and we start helping others. Right? The big amends is twelve. We're, we, nine simply gets me fit enough to do twelve. That's the big amends. Yeah. Okay. Um, and why you're now endeavoring to be helpful to him? Why am I endeavoring to be helpful to him? Not like Nothing so that much that ensures immunity as intensive work with. Others. And and even when you go from selfish to selfless, there's going to be a knowledge that you benefit. Does that make sense? There's times where we find ourselves just working with people and we're tired and we just work with them and we get the buzz and we're not thinking I'm going to get more out of this. We're just, but we still know that, right? But the difference is it's not the motive anymore. Right. Okay. Um, It's important for him to realize that your attempt to pass this on to him plays a vital part in your own recovery. Yeah. You guys know that? The secret is do it until you know that. Do it until you, keep supporting people until you know that you can't do anything but support people. Because if you don't do that, you'll miss out on so much awareness and so many miracles. Um, Actually, he may be helping you more than you're helping him. How many of you have concluded that? I've learned a lot more about powerlessness and unmanageability from people I've tried to help than I ever learned from a chemical. Actually, he may be helping you more than you're helping him. Make it plain that he's under no obligation to you, that you hope only that he'll try and help other alcoholics when he escapes his own difficulties. Suggest how important it is that he place the welfare of other people ahead of his own. Make it clear that he's not under pressure, that he needn't see you again if he doesn't want to. And you should not be offended if he wants to call it off, or he has helped you more than you've helped him. Yeah. Why did they write that down? Because they knew the time was going to come where I've spent hours with somebody because I'm selfless. (laughs) And then they said, hey man, this ain't working out. I'm going to get me a new sponsor. Catch you later. And I'm thinking, you couldn't have done this sooner? Well, I hope it works out for you, you son of a bitch. So was I doing that selflessly? Absolutely not. I was attached to that outcome. So in that instance, that man showed me, and I need their experience to say, there you go. There's your spiritual experience. Show you're attached to worldly things. Okay, so, so if your talk has been sane, quiet, and full of human understanding, you perhaps made a friend. Maybe you've disturbed him about the question of alcoholism. This is all to the good. Interesting, they used the word disturbed him about the question of alcoholism. How many of you, when you were vacillating whether you really wanted to do this, considered alcoholism sort of a question? I may have overreacted, but let me do a little more research. Anybody know what they're talking about? This is all the good. The more hopeless he feels, the better he'll be more likely to follow your suggestions. Your candidate may give reasons why he need not follow all the program. What is all the program? Steps 1 through 12, repeat. Right? All day, every day, as we go along. Okay? He may rebel at the thought of a drastic house cleaning, which requires discussion with other people. Anyone ever had anyone rebel at that? How many of you have been that guy that rebelled at that? Okay, so we know it, way. I once thought and felt as you do, but I doubt I'd made much progress had I not taken action. This is the action I took. This is what I experienced as a result. Do it if you wish. Right? Do not contradict such views. Tell him you once felt as he does, but you doubt whether you would have made much progress had you not taken action. I can't say that with credibility if I don't know that experience, can I? Okay. On your first visit, tell him about the fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. This is one of the things we've done really badly over the last many years. We've made the fellowship the program, and we forgot to tell him that the program isn't in the rooms. We tell you about the loving and supportive people you're going to meet in our fellowship. And we tell them about the manner of living which is contained in the steps. And if we don't separate that for them, this isn't separating fly shit from pepper, guys. This is, this is the difference between life and death for someone who needs a message of hope. Yeah. Sitting in the room for 25 years doesn't make you well and it doesn't make you alcoholic. Nope. If you're not armed with the facts about yourself, you're just... Whatever you are sitting in the room, right? Yeah. Sitting in a pond don't make you a duck. <laughs> if he, if he shows, inter- shows interest, lend him a copy of this book. Unless your friend wants to talk further about himself, do not wear out your welcome. Give him a chance to think it over. If you do stay, let him steer the converse- conversation in any direction he likes. Sometimes a new man is anxious to proceed at once, and you may be tempted to let him do so. This is sometimes a mistake. If he has trouble later, he's likely, likely to say that you rushed him. So no one finds God without a desire from within. So it's a process. Some people go through the steps in a day. Some people don't go the, through the steps for years. We're going to have to talk to them to find out what they're ready to receive because what we're going to hit them with isn't concepts and theories. It's facts and it's truth, and it's going to hit them and and roll them back in their chair, and they they got to be ready to receive it. Make sense? Yeah. Okay. So um, I'm going to jump over to, because I I don't want to miss something, I want to go to page 96. They warn us if we're new at taking people through the steps that, you know, not everybody gets well, and not everybody gets well because they encountered me. Right? It's not a scorecard. Um, if I'm still counting how many people I've worked with, then I'm taking myself too seriously. Yeah. Right? I used to work for a government agency. I never counted the number of forms I filled out. <laughs> it's just fucking work, guys. Right? Okay. Do not be discouraged if your prospect does not respond at once. Search out another alcoholic and try again. You're sure to find someone desperate enough to accept with eagerness what you offer. What do we offer? Yeah, we, we offer an encounter. We offer love and tolerance. We offer any number of things. But the reality is until they're ready to receive it, it's not going to matter what we think we offer. Right? We find it a waste of time to keep chasing a man who cannot or will not work with you. If you leave such a person alone, he may soon become convinced that he cannot recover by himself. To spend too much time on any one situation is to deny some other alcoholic an opportunity to live and be happy. One of our fellowship failed entirely with his first half dozen prospects. He often says that if he had continued to work on them, he might have deprived many others who have since recovered of their chance. Any idea who they were talking about in that passage? Yeah, so they're talking about Bill W., think about how many millions would have been cheated had he stopped at six. That's right. We're among them. Some of you felt that. Who felt that? Yeah. So that was prophecy from way back then, and we felt the effect of that revelation all the way to now. That's, that's the timelessness of the power we encountered, just so you know. They said, you'll surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happiness. And we just met him tonight, didn't we? Because we just shared that experience with him. Suppose you're now making, oh, I'm going to jump from there. I don't want to do that. 97. 97, never avoid these responsibilities. So they went into this dialogue about offering money, housing, things that we often do, right? Um, Never avoid these responsibilities, but be sure you're doing the right thing if you assume them. So how would we be sure? By our practice. It feels. Yeah, you're going to have to check it with the spirit, aren't you? Am I doing the right thing or am I doing harm? Yeah. Right? Helping others is the foundation stone of your recovery. Now they made it personal, didn't they? Yeah. I'm not here for them. I'm not the savior of you. I'm, I'm here because I am now owned by the foundation. And I'm serving in my capacity as a witness. Yeah? Okay. A kindly act once in a while isn't enough. You have to act the Good Samaritan every day if need be. Any of you recognize that reference for another book? The Good Samaritan is the one unlikely to help. It wasn't the legal folk. It wasn't the religious folk. It was the Samaritan who it wasn't even legal for him to stop and help bandage the man's wounds, but he did stop and bandage. He was his brother's keeper because it was the right thing to do even though it was illegal in the time. And he not only helped him, he took him to the end and he paid his tab and he said, I'll be back in a week to settle up. I might have to do that every day if need be. That's a a profundity of that is important that we internalize. Okay? Um, It may be the loss of many nights, may mean the loss of many nights sleep, great interference with your pleasures, interruptions to your business. It may mean sharing your money in your home, counseling frantic wives and relatives, Innumerable trips to police courts, sanitariums, hospitals, jails, and asylums. Any of that sound familiar to you? (laughs) How many of you made it to those places on your own and someone visited you? Do you remember their name? No, they were nameless foot soldiers for God. And that is my unending debt. Because they were there for me. And I don't know how many it took, but it took however many it took. Alright? Your telephone may jangle at any time of the day or night. Your yep. wife may sometimes say she's neglected. Don't have one of those anymore. <laughs> you neglected her. Um, a drunk may smash the furniture in your home or burn a mattress. You may have to fight with him if he's violent. And sometimes you'll have to call a doctor and administer sedatives under his direction. Another time you may have to send for the police or an ambulance. Occasionally you'll have to meet such conditions. You guys relate to all that? That is our job description. And number three, they told us you have a new employer if you keep close to him and perform his work well, right? And there it is. They just laid out the job description for it because someone did it for me. It's not like this is a mystery, folks. We had a map laid out. Long before I thought anyone gave a damn whether I lived or died, there were people sitting in rooms like this sending people out for guys like me. And they didn't know there was gonna be a room like this for people that have been sitting somewhere else for all these years. But God knew that. That's how important it is to pay that debt. We seldom allow an alcoholic to live in our homes for a long time, it's not good for him and sometimes it creates serious complications in the family. Though an alcoholic does not respond, there is no reason you should neglect his family. You should continue to be friendly to them. The family should be offered your way of life, so we'd have to be able to talk to them about a manner of living that teaches that, you know, although you think that the world's causing how you think and feel, that's not what's happening. You're powerless and over, over your addict is your addiction, your powerlessness, and we need to tap you into the spirit so you can allow life to be life without taking it personally. We've got to outgrow your sensitivities, right? We have every opportunity to mention, because I was once as hopeless as their loved one, and I had family members just as hopeless as they are, and I'm here to tell you, God never sends me in to treat hangnails. If I'm here, this is a serious mission. I don't know which of you is here for the healing, but I was sent as the vessel. Right? Right? Why wouldn't we tell them that? Isn't it true? Okay. So I'm going to jump from there to... 98, last week we did 10 and 11, and we talked about w- learning, growing and understanding and effectiveness, learning when and how to give. Remember that lesson, those of you who are here? I told you by th- this week we'd get to what? The when and how? Yeah. Okay, so on 98, it's not the matter of giving that's in question, but when and how to give. That often makes the difference between failure and success. Who's? The new man. Exactly, the new man within who can't fail, and my consciousness of him. Yeah. The minute we put our work on a service plane, the alcoholic commences to rely upon our assistance rather than upon God. Have you ever done that? Not allowed someone to have their experience, thinking you were doing the right thing. How many have had someone do that for you? And so, so there's serious consequences to that, right? Um, he clamors for this or that, claiming he cannot master alcohol until his material needs are cared for. Nonsense. Some of us have taken very hard knocks to learn this truth. Job or no job, wife or no wife, we simply do not stop drinking so long as we place dependence upon other people ahead of dependence on God. That's pretty declarative. Because God to them is not a concept or a theology. God is tangible power from within. Right? And I need that. I need that spiritual connection. I need that. The opposite of addiction is not abstinence, it's connection. Okay. Burn the idea into the consciousness of every man that he can get well regardless of anybody. How do we burn that idea into consciousness? Repetition. And powerful witness. Right? Regardless of what you think you're going through and how difficult it is. All of us come here with a story. All of us have been through difficult times. And while I cannot prevent the difficult time for you, I can walk with you through it because I'm empowered to do so. Yes. Okay. The only condition is you trust in God and clean house. I'm going to jump from there over to. Let's see. Hmm. What did I want to do? Okay, let's do a look at page 100, since Sean brought up the new man. First paragraph. Both you and the new man must walk day by day in the path of spiritual progress. How many of you, when you read that the first time, or maybe when you're hearing it now, are thinking their suggestion? you always have a new one in the steps? So I've heard people teach that, but that's not, not what they're talking about. How many of you have determined that although you often still think like you, there's some other presence within you that thinks better than you. Yes. And oftentimes, it's empowered to behave better than you, even though you're thinking just like you. <laughs> right. Kinder than you feel like being. Power to love the unlovely. Power to tolerate the intolerable. When you grow in consciousness of that tangible power, you're walking day by day with the new man. Yeah. Yeah. And it's growing consciously greater within me, yes? Okay. Um, Then it goes on to tell you that if you persist, remarkable things will happen. So where's my people that come from a Christian persuasion? So what they're suggesting to us is signs and wonders follow us just as we were told. Remarkable things will follow. Okay? Okay. When we look back, we realize that the things which came to us when we put ourselves in God's hands were better than anything we could have planned. How many of you have got there in your How many of you have ended up in a space in your life where things are better than you ever mapped out and you're better than you ever hoped for? That's amazing because we didn't come here for that, did we? I came reluctantly. Follow the dictates of a higher power and you'll presently live in a new and wonderful world no matter what your present circumstances. That's profound for everyone that comes in these rooms because most of us have had some tough beginnings. I can tell you that I was homeless and I'm not good at homelessness. And I wasn't raised that way. when I finally encountered power and started getting well, my circumstances did not change for years. But I presently lived in a new and wonderful world. Right then, right now—that's fact. That happened for me, and I know I've watched it happen for many others. As a matter of fact, Sean was there, and he was down at the homeless shelter, and had me watch it happen for I don't know how many. But there we were, miracles watching miracles. Um, when working with a man and his family, you should take care not to participate in their quarrels. Let's see, what else we want to do? I don't want to do that. Okay. I don't want to get in their quarrels. Okay, I'm going to go to 103. and I think it's going to sign off the way they sign off the chapter. Someday we hope that Alcoholics Anonymous will help the public to better realization of the gravity of the alcoholic problem. So Alcoholics Anonymous to them was not a fellowship because the fellowship was not named Alcoholics Anonymous at the writing of this book. The book was named Alcoholics Anonymous, the fellowship was later named that. So the book was intended to be studied because their witness was profound, half of them atheists or agnostics, all radically delivered from a hopeless state of mind and body, long-term sobriety, efficacy in the 65% range from 1939 to 1955, that's how profound the experience was, Mm -hmm. so they were hoping that people would read this book, not twist it, not gum it up, that's what they're hoping, that's what they wrote here. But we shall be of little use if our attitude is one of bitterness or hostility. Drinkers will not stand for it. So as bad as we know we've mucked it up as a class, we've still got to find in our hearts the love and tolerance for all the people that are misinforming and all the people that are still suffering and try and point out to them exactly what we do here. There's a difference between fellowship and program. God is real. God's not out there. God's in here. Get with it. I'm going to show you soon a couple things. Right? Okay, so after all, our problems were of our own making. Bottles were only a symbol. Besides, we've stopped fighting anybody or anything. We have to. So that's where they end the chapter. I want to point out to everybody, families are welcome here. You guys that are members, your families are welcome here. If you didn't know that before you got here, welcome them in next week. We do this every week, Saturday, Uh, Pastor Harrison, Chaplain Harrison is going to fill in for Sam Lee because he's going to Yuma prison to let them know that people are thinking about him while they're in there. And any of you can bring your family to that too. Thank you very much.